We've been talking a lot about reflation, and one of the asset classes top of mind is emerging markets equity. So today we go there with a very special guest. Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives, and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of March 15th, 2021, and today we have a very special guest. Yes, I'm going to let you two take the floor until later in the episode, but I'm looking forward to this interview, and it's bound to be full of insights. It really is, because our guest today is Julia Herman, who is a macro strategist at Cardigan Management, which is an emerging markets equity shop. There's so many reasons why I'm excited to have Julia join us today. And as our listeners know, I once upon a time focused on emerging markets myself and have been struck by the misconceptions that everyone from business managers and investors and, and really just everyday people have about emerging markets. These misconceptions are becoming even more important as China becomes a dominant force in the global economy. And as the current risk on global growth beta rally inflation trade is ongoing. For all of these topics, I always rely on Julia, who has a sense not only of the investment issues, but also how to communicate them beautifully. So without any further ado, Julia, thank you so much for joining the program today. Thank you for having me. We've had so many of these conversations over the phone, so it's great to make it official with the podcast. Well, thanks for coming. So let's start at the very top. I'm going to say something provocative, like many investors have misconceptions about emerging markets, so we should probably define exactly what we're talking about here. How do you define emerging markets? What I use in referring to emerging markets is the MSCI EM index, which includes countries like China, India, Korea, Brazil, Mexico, Russia, and about 20 others. These are distinct from what we call frontier markets, including Vietnam and Nigeria. The distinction is determined by index providers, but frontier markets tend to be smaller and less liquid, but they can be upgraded to emerging as they grow. What stands out to me about this list right off the bat is that even the limited version of the list, if you take out frontier markets, is means a lot of things. There are a lot of different types of emerging market. I mean, if I think about Russia, an economy that's an, a major energy exporter, it's going to look so different from a country like South Korea, which is a technology superstar. And yet I think so many investors think about emerging markets as a complex or an index or a big group of relatively similar countries. And even here on the program, when we're speaking about diversification, we speak of regional preference, like the US or international developed markets or emerging markets as a group. How can we possibly think about emerging markets? Isn't it just too big of a group to be classifying the way we do? 
What you're describing, Lauren, is a global top-down investment process, and it's a perspective I commonly hear from institutional investors. Within EM, though, the countries are so differentiated that the top-down work really needs to take a country or even a sector-specific approach. But in constructing a global framework to start with, there are those important macroeconomic drivers that do tend to drive the performance of emerging markets as an asset class. I love talking about drivers. Let's go for it. So there are three things I tend to focus on in my analysis. Robert, three things, see? I can't even with you guys. It's Monday. It's too early. Go on. (laughs) So the number one driver of EM equities as an asset class is growth. And here we're talking about absolute growth, relative growth, and sometimes even most importantly, sentiment about growth. Sentiment is really the story of 2021 because the growth we're seeing is really driven by simple base effects since 2020 was such a disaster. But it is all about the optimism and sentiment relative to where we were. Emerging markets as a whole are a risk asset, meaning that they benefit from risk on sentiment when the world is optimistic about global economic activity. So overall, 2021 is extremely supportive for EMs. Okay, so there's a a long trending story or a fundamental underpinning to this driver of global growth, right? The idea, or at least the original idea, is that improving economic conditions elsewhere in the world increased demand for a lot of things that emerging markets produce or create whether that's raw materials or labor or any other type of input. So improving global growth should also increase demand for those things and also travel. Tourism is an important industry for many emerging markets and demand for these produced goods. So basically what I'm asking is, is does that story still hold? Recognizing that emerging markets aren't a one-size-fits-all group, is global growth really still the number one thing that increases activity in the average emerging market? Absolutely. It is not just about sentiment. Increased economic activity isn't going to impact each emerging market symmetrically, mainly because each country tends to be disproportionately impacted by one of the drivers that you mentioned, commodities, tourism, manufacturing, etc. But generally, a rising tide tends to lift all boats. Okay, okay, understood and, and straightforward enough. But if the driver one then is global growth, which I think you've said really nicely, and, and sentiment is certainly headed in the direction for improvement this year, What's driver number two? Related but distinct from global growth is global liquidity. Really what we mean by this is Fed policy. And when the Fed is accommodative, it has the effect of pushing money into the global economy, and it generally frees up smaller countries to follow loose monetary policy at home and stimulate that way. Say more about that because it's Fed week, so we want to give the Fed a little bit of airtime. As context for our listeners, the idea here is that well-functioning liquid markets allow capital to flow easily and also allow investors to focus on multiple countries, lots of different things going on in the world. So when financial conditions move the other direction, when they tighten, the story is a little bit trickier. Investors tend to flee to safety, which results in capital moving out of some of the perceived riskier countries, including emerging markets, and into more safe haven countries like the U.S., Exactly. I mean, frankly, it's a tough time to be the Fed. I feel like I'm saying that more and more frequently these days. Because we're in this period between when stimulus and vaccines have come together in the direction of a recovery, but we don't quite have the real recovery yet, especially as the Fed would like to measure it, which is through inflation and employment. So even though Chair Powell has been extremely clear in his dovish messaging, the market continually wants 
more from him. So if there's any pullback in Fed support, even if it's just perceived by the markets, it could be negative for EM sentiment. Fortunately, we don't expect that to happen until at least the end of this year. Got it. And we're with you on that, at least fingers crossed that we have another couple of quarters before we have to worry about any real tightening pressure. The obvious driver that we haven't discussed in the emerging markets world is China. Exactly. It is impossible to have a view on emerging markets without having a view on China. It is as simple as just due to the sheer size of its economy, China is clearly a fundamental economic driver for the world when it comes to trade, demand for commodities, and so much more. But beyond that pure economic impact, China also has a similar level of heft in the equity market. It is 38% of the MSCI EM index on its own, and that goes up to nearly 54% if you include Taiwan and Hong Kong as ways to access that kind of Chinese demand, the Chinese market. And the role in EM that China plays is only growing because it is slowly opening its capital market to the world. Chinese bonds, for instance, they were included in global indexes only just in 2020. And then on the equity side, a lot of exposure can still be gained through the likes of Hong Kong, which are called H shares. And then China's also working on expanding access to its mainland exchanges, which are referred to as A share equities. Got it. Talk about the uh, the elephant in the room there. Well, we've talked a little bit about raw materials already, commodities, and how emerging markets provide so much more than raw materials to the global economy. It sounds like China's driving emerging markets activity is a lot more than just commodities demand these days too. So switching gears, thinking a little bit about trade, trades come back into the limelight the past week or two, seems that the Biden administration is going to maintain its tough on China stance. And that won't be a surprise to our listeners, certainly not a surprise to me, but it is interesting to note the change in tone around free trade. How does global trade play out in this conversation in about emerging markets? How does it work in your world? The tougher stance on China didn't come as a surprise to me either. Uh, for us in EM, we tended to look at the trade war from the perspective of how it could disrupt supply chains within Asia and the world. Diversification away from China as a manufacturing hub is commonly referred to as China plus one, where companies want to rely on one more country aside from China to diversify their supply chain risk. But the thing is, it can take years for supply chains to shift. In the immediate aftermath of the trade war, Vietnam was an immediate winner because it is already a manufacturing powerhouse. But for other emerging markets like India, time will still need to tell to see how much of the plus one they can be in China plus one. Got it. Got it. And that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that we talked a little bit about in our, I think it was mid-year last year, one of our outlooks was that companies don't just move their supply chains home when there's a disruption. It's really involved. And in many cases, to your point about Vietnam, expand, means expanding into different or more diversified countries. Now, we've seen a lot of headlines about the tech Cold War, thinking kind of in this line of trade war, but expanding the conversation a little bit uh, between the U.S. and China. How important is that to an EM investor, whether it's a sentiment thing or a sector allocation thing? It is top of mind for everything from the fundamentals to sentiment. Tech has really evolved into a national security and almost an existential concern for both the U.S. and China. And it's because superior tech capability is absolutely critical for future economic development, especially if you want to be the global hegemon. 
So both the U.S. and China have announced that they are building independent tech supply chains. They might include other countries as well, but it's really that they're going to be independent of the other. So it'll be a messy and very long-term disentanglement there, but it could be a mega trend impacting geopolitics and the markets for years to come. And it could be a very exciting opportunity for select emerging markets. Well, you use the word opportunity, so that's a great time for our portfolio pause, a section of the program where we share an investment idea. And Julia, since you've been describing emerging markets as an asset class that benefits from essentially risk-on developments, improving economic growth, positive market sentiment, momentum, I think it makes sense to focus on the big boogeyman for market sentiment right now, which is rising interest rates, the steepening of the yield curve. How does that dynamic, you know, what's been going on the last couple of weeks in the market impact emerging markets and and sentiment towards emerging markets? A rise in yields is the bond market telling us that a recovery is upon us. It is a risk on signal that we first saw in November when we had both the U.S. election results and the first vaccine announcements. And now it has obviously gained a lot of steam. As I mentioned, EMs benefit from risk on sentiment. So there's a very bullish case to be made in terms of how well emerging markets will respond to this normalization in yields. It also helps that, per usual, China and India are going to be major contributors, if not the leaders, of global growth in 2021. And it's also worth mentioning that China is the only major economy that did not contract in 2020. So while the rest of the world is trying to climb out of this big growth hole, China continues to steam ahead. Okay, that makes sense. As you've already mentioned, that's a really important driver, but there's got to be a but here. It can't be all so straightforward. Uh, Yes, there are a few possible hiccups that we see. First, I'd highlight this very rapid pace of yield curve normalization or yield normalization because markets just need time to adjust. And that, I think, emanates, that rapid pace emanates from the second possible hiccup, which is U.S. growth outperformance. U.S. stimulus really surprised to the upside this year. So we're seeing GDP forecasts for the U.S. being revised upward in a major way. So even if China's growth might still be better in absolute terms for the year, the tailwind is 100% behind the U.S. And when you have the U.S. seen as this bastion of strength and recovery, to many U.S. investors, emerging markets might not seem worth the time, but I'm here to tell you they are. Hey, Lauren, I have to jump in here and ask Julia a capital markets-oriented question. And thank you for your perspective so far. It's been very interesting. But I'm going to put you on the spot. In one sentence, what is your favorite investment idea in the emerging markets right now? This will be a long sentence, but (laughs) without a doubt, I have to say it's the digitization of the emerging world. EM is about growth and tech is what captures that growth. I do view this current global tech sell-off as a great buying opportunity in certain places, but overall, tech and EM is about so much more than internet companies and computer chips. If you look for the leading companies across sectors, it can be the financial sector, consumer, and others, it's very likely that that company will have a superior digital strategy that made them the industry leader in the first place. That's a really good point, and I love this digitization theme. Lauren, you and I have talked about it a bunch on the program. And that's because digitization or digitally oriented business strategies have seen increases in their cash flows and improving profit margins. And that's been a secular trend going on since the global financial crisis and maybe even before that. Moving off that topic a little bit, but still an important one, is 
ESG related investing or ESG risk factors, environmental, social, and governance investing. Julia, do you think that environmental and social and government's policies will be a key driver of performance in the emerging markets? I think ESG already is and will continue to be a major theme in EM, and it is fully integrated into our philosophy and process at Cardica already. I I said earlier that EM is about growth, and really it's about sustainable growth. ESG is not just a great way to mitigate risk. It is also the way to optimize the use of environmental and social resources for the future. And good governance is, quite frankly, the only way to run a company these days. Yeah, such a good point. And one that we would reiterate that it's so much more than about tree hugging or whatever people used to think of ESG as being and really just the way to run a company. And and so that's really insightful. And Julia, thank you so much for joining the program today. It's been great to outline the contours of emerging markets investing. We'd love to have you back to dig deeper into some of these issues. Always great to hear your views. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. See you soon. Coming up next, with all that talk of global financial conditions, it's Fed Week, my absolute favorite week. And financial markets will be looking to Chair Powell to talk down some of the move in yields that we've seen in the past couple of weeks and talked about in the program today. It's unlikely. The Fed is going to focus on maintaining their highly accommodative monetary policy stance. And I think their forecast, which we'll get this week as well, will point to liftoff at the end of 2023. Bond market investors are pointing to end of 2022, so I expect that showdown to be a big part of the market story in the next couple of years. Couldn't agree more. Nothing more to add there other than I've heard that travel, transportation, and leisure is picking back up. Maybe we'll see some inflation there later this year. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. Or you can follow our views at the website, newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking the insights tab. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next week. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamots, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. Julia Herman and Cardica Management are not affiliated with New York Life Investments. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There is no assurance that investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date and it is subject to change, and it is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. The information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issue or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an investor's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as primary basis for investment decisions. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances 
circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and a common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Investments and New York Life Insurance Company. New York Life Investment Management LLC is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company and a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Investment Management Holdings LLC. NYLIFE Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey 07302. NYLIFE Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.